David Spada is a successful attorney whose dream was to become a sports talk show host. Elliot Harris is a Chicago sports columnist who wanted to expand his media presence. In the next hour, they combine their talents and love of sports and women by interviewing former professional athletes and lovely ladies on sports and torts. But keeping the boys out of trouble isn't always easy because when David and Elliot are together, they have more fun than should be legal. Elliot, I got to get out of attorney mode and get in sports talk show mode. I've been doing two hearings the last couple of days and I'm fried. You got your shirt, your tie, and where's your coat? Left the coat in the car. I actually have to get the coat altered. Someone came up to me and said that I had a tail. I guess the lining's there to come loose on my sport coat. Oops. Well, you look good here. Look like I had tails. But I think we're going to flip stuff flip stuff around. We're going to start with Eric Parsegan, and then we'll go to our lovely lady at around 1220 today. Because I see good. she just walked in. A little change of pace. We're change pace. But let's get to our first guest. He was one of the best coaches in college football history, former coach at Northwestern, more known for Notre Dame, Era Parsegan. How are you doing, Era? Well, I'm doing fine. So, Era, what did you have more fun doing, coaching Northwestern or Notre Dame? What? That's a question? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll throw in I'll Miami, you, we'll throw in Miami of Ohio, it. too. I'll let you answer it for me. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. You had some great teams there at Northwestern in the early 60s. Oh, absolutely. No, we had we had good football teams, uh, but the problem uh, being a private school and a state-oriented conference uh, with high admission requirements and so forth uh, created a depth problem for us. We would get started off, uh, I think, a couple years. We went 6-0, and and uh, injuries uh, created uh, huge problems for us in the latter part of the season. So Pat Fitzgerald has been fairly successful following in your footsteps, although those were pretty long-ago footsteps. Well, he's done a great job. I'm, I'm impressed with him. Uh, I was up there. They had a reunion last year. Uh, it was a Michigan State game, and they had a lot of the players back uh, from the eight years that I had coached there. And uh, it was sort of startling for me when I got the list. Uh, they had uh, about uh, 75 or 80 players coming back. And then when I looked at the deceased list, there's 39 guys that were gone. And two months later, there was now, then it was 41. So it's kind of a startling for a, a coach that's had all these players through all these years and to see the number that have moved on. Notre Dame seems to like those Miami of Ohio coaches. I mean, they had another one in between you and uh, Fitzgerald getting the job, and Randy Walker, and he was pretty successful. Yeah, well, he also had John Pont, but he, he wasn't successful. <laughs> <laughs> so the cradle of coaches, though, has delivered a lot of coaches around the country, and Randy Walker was a good coach, and he would have uh, uh, had the misfortune of the heart attack. I think he would have set some extraordinary records when he was if he could have continued on. Okay. Now, way back when you were at Miami of Ohio, you were the freshman coach. Woody Hayes was the, the main coach. Did you learn what not to do as well as some of what to do? <laughs> well, well, he had a temper, I'll say that. He, uh, he was a guy that was uh, 98% uh, a good guy, and uh, 2% uh, he was a bad guy, and uh, the 2% he... Uh, operated in vision of 
98% of the people that were watching him. So he had, he had a situation where, uh, he was, he would lose his temper and do things that, uh, we was criticized for, but he would do it in the, in the forum of a huge big stadium, uh, on television. And when you went to Notre Dame, you found some good talent in John Hurt and Jack Snow here. I mean, both of them were contenders for the Heisman back in around 64. Yes, no, it was, that was the first year. And, uh, Notre Dame was hungry for some success and I found some good football players here and, uh, got them, uh, out on the, on the field. And, uh, we moved uh, a number of people into positions to make us the best football team we could have. And, uh, a lot of them made All American. Uh, I mean, it was a matter of, getting the spark plugs uh, hooked up again and letting the, the motor operate. Now, how surprising was it when you were at Northwestern and all of a sudden Notre Dame calls, comes calling? No, Notre Dame didn't come calling. <laughs> I called them. <laughs> and they answered, at least. Yeah, yeah, yes, no, I was surprised. Uh, the uh, I had no intentions of leaving Northwestern, and then we had uh, a little bit of a squabble with the athletic director and so forth, and I had decided I would move on, and uh, I, 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 uh, I had seen that Notre Dame had uh, named uh, Hughie DeVore as an interim coach, and I wanted to see whether or not they were contemplating a change, and basically I called Father Joyce and said, uh, if you're con- contemplating a change in your coaching, uh, uh, head coaching, I said, I'd like to throw my hat in the ring. And if not, I said, you know, disregard the phone call. And uh, he didn't say no. He didn't say yes. But he indicated an interest and said he would keep in touch with me uh, uh, if he would if he would continue the interest. And shortly thereafter, a telephone call came, and uh, that started the ball rolling for my ultimate ultimate acceptance and uh, the head coaching job at Notre Dame. Being a coach in Notre Dame, is that probably the most difficult coaching position in the whole college football? You know, I didn't realize how the magnitude of Notre Dame until I sat in the chair. You can only appreciate the 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 significance of it by being the head football coach at Notre Dame and the the national or almost international aspect of it. I mean, when I was at Northwestern, I I would get calls from say 500 mile radius, and uh, but when I Took the job at uh, Northwest uh, Notre Dame, rather. I mean, it was east, uh, west. I mean, coast to coast, north, south, coast to coast. I mean, it was uh, it was just unbelievable. It was surprising, but uh, when you take a uh, an institution, a, a good academic institution with a religious affiliation and a great football tradition, uh, it it commands a lot of uh, national attention. Has the nature of coaching changed since when you last coached? It seems uh, media savviness, dealing with recruits, things like that, almost supersede X's and O's. Yeah, like the, I, I don't think there's any question about that. I think that the, the coaches of today uh, have uh, the necessity of uh, maintaining a relationship with the media, and the media can be very intrusive at times. And uh, you're right about the recruiting. That's the, the the thing has gotten out of hand, in my per- personal opinion. I think that when you bring the freshmen in, I tried to low key it because they had they're going to have enough of an adjustment, social, academic, and athletic when they came in as freshmen, and uh, they build all these kids up. Uh, they have great high school records, 
and you know that only about a third of them are uh, are going to make it. And uh, so from that standpoint, it, it becomes a very difficult job. You have communities involved and parents involved and family members and so forth that uh, uh, I think there's, there's always been a lot of demand on the football coach uh, because it's a 24-hour, 12-month uh, uh, job. And, uh, and it's, it, it's gotten even more difficult for the coaches of today. When you were coaching at Notre Dame, you had some great quarterbacks. You had Joe Theismann, and you recruited Joe Montana. Did you ever dream that Joe Montana would become the great quarterback he did in the NFL? No, I knew he was great. And just to show you how smart I was, uh, we recruited uh, Joe. He was a freshman my last year. Then I retired. (laughs) (laughs) If you'd known he was going to be that good, you would have lasted a couple more. One of the great moves. Well, Dan, De- Dan Devine appreciated it. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure he did. Because <laughs> he was playing he Rusty Lish over him, I believe. Because <laughs> wasn't Rusty Lish's starting quarterback over Montana? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think he I, I think he was having a uh, a personality problem with the Montana, from what I understand, and benched him, I guess, in the early part of his, of his career with Devine. And then ultimately put him in the game when he had gone down to his third quarterback and uh, – Joe bailed him out of some game. I can't recall uh, which one it was. And then from then on, obviously, uh, uh, showed the quality of uh, quarterback that he was. Now, at Notre Dame, there's something of a, uh, I don't know, controversy is the right word, but the, the coach Brian Kelly uh, spewing uh, profanity being shown on television and all that stuff. Shouldn't he realize coming in? If that's part of his personality, he might have just ha- might have to tone it down slightly. Yeah, I think he regrets it. I would guess. I haven't talked to him. I imagine he regrets. Uh, he wasn't aware that he was that visible on TV. And when you get on national TV, I mean uh, that, uh, and that. And as I mentioned, I I became much aware of the national aspect of Notre Dame. And uh, yeah, I think that I think he uh, has learned a lesson. I think he's gotten enough attention from the media and and fans and uh, administration, I would guess, uh, to tone it down. And I think I'm sure that he will because I've had discussions with him uh, and have found him to be a very reasonable person. You were a Presbyterian. You went to a Catholic university. Did your religion have any effect on you getting hired? Did Notre Dame ever say, you know what, we want a Catholic coach, or they never even talked about your religion? (laughs) Not zero. They never... I don't think they wanted me. <laughs> I swear they never asked me to join the church or anything. Because uh, isn't Mass an important part? Because I heard on TV that before every game the players all attend Mass. And then well, they... that's, that's one thing. That's exactly right. All the, all the players attend Mass. I attended every Mass, and I insist, insisted on some of the players. If they overslept or did anything that they, they didn't show up, I made sure that this was a part of the tradition that uh, I was a part of myself because I was head coach. And uh, I, I went to Mass on a regular basis, even though I was a Presbyterian. Hey, it never hurts. Nope. <laughs> of all the teams you coached, what was your favorite one? Oh, that's so hard to... Uh, uh, you know, we had two national championship teams and uh, in 1966 and 1973. And then we had... Uh, uh, an undefeated team uh, up until, as a matter of fact, uh, we were having the 1966 50th or 45th reunion 
Michigan State week, uh, which is a week and a half away or, or less, uh, and uh, that team is coming back. Uh, uh, that, this is a team that unfortunately has lost uh, two of the great players on the team. Uh, Jim Seymour, the split end, uh, uh, passed away as a result of cancer. And uh, Pete Duranko, who was just a great athlete, uh, passed away just recently from ALS. Uh, so uh, there'll be a little mourning when the team comes back, but a whole group of them are coming back. They're very close uh, knit. Uh, they were a close knit team, and it was one of the great teams that I had. And uh, the '73 team, which was a national championship team, was a an unexpected. Uh, we thought we were a year away because we had freshmen that came in and played a very important part. As a matter of fact, I started, I think, four or five freshmen uh, that uh, contributed immensely to the success that we had in that 1973 season. Wasn't Bubba Smith on that Michigan State team, too? Bubba Smith was playing on Michigan State mm-hmm. team, exactly. And he just passed away within the last month, I remember. Yes, as a matter of fact, I saw that. You're right. He was such a player. What about people who ask you, did you play for a tie in that game? <laughs> I mean, well, go back if you if you want to go back and look at the play by play and see whether I played for a tie. I mean, it's you know, there's been uh, unusual criticism, and uh, how how can you criticize a team that won the national championship? I can't. I just want one here. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, the very fact that we decided at the end we had our starting quarterback was on the sideline. Our starting center was on the sideline. Our starting running back, uh, Nick Eddy, was on the sideline. So we had uh, Hanratty, uh, Nick Eddy, uh, Brock, uh, Rocky Blyer, our, our center, our, our defensive, uh, and the backup, uh, Bob Glasgow. We had, we had a lot of injuries in that game, and now you're back on your own 30-yard line. Uh, people would, you know, a lot of people don't know that on fourth down and one from our own 39-yard line, that we went for the first down. Uh, and you got to remember that Michigan State kicked me the ball. They decided they weren't going to go for it. They were on their, in their own territory. But in any event, uh, yes, at the time that it occurred, I felt uh, it was a very unjust criticism. But that's part of the game. And uh, I just as I've told you, I said, you know, if I would have made a dumb mistake and uh, – we, they had a great kicker. They had the wind with them, uh, and we had lost by a field goal in the last uh, 20 seconds of the game. Uh, then I would have been the dumbest coach <laughs> in America. Now, in your list of favorite games, where does that 10-10 tie rate? Well, I've never been involved in a college game that had as much uh, pregame buildup. I mean, it was more like a Super Bowl when you see all the publicity and all the uh, uh, importance that the media gives is the, the Super Bowl game. This was a little like that. We had press conferences every day. You know, I did. There were. <laughs> I thought, what are we going to tell them today? I mean, we've been telling them basically the same thing, because there's not that much going on. We were, well, we were, uh, of course, uh, practicing at our our uh, stadium, not our stadium, but our practice fields, at Michigan State, because we were going to play up there. But we had press here. Here they had press there, and it was a daily occurrence, uh, and they started to write about this game because they were looking at the schedules three or four games before it occurred. And both of, both of us were, I think uh, Duffy and I were both saying, you know, let this alone until we get there. Because, you, you know, you, you've got to focus on the game that you're playing. 
and uh, and that might have been a problem for Notre Dame uh, in the first half of uh, last Saturday. Your, your last game coaching or attempting to coach was that All-Star game at Soldier Field that got canceled because of the severe weather. I was surprised they didn't stop the game last week because of the weather being so bad. <laughs> that was amazing. I mean, uh, it was, uh, I think it was in the third quarter. Uh, there was still a little time left to go in the third quarter. But I remember it was a torrential rain. The, the, the rain was going sideways. Lightning was flashing. They stopped it. Everybody got off the field except some nuts that were out there. Uh, were sliding up and down on the on the on the field and climbing those metal posts while lightning was flashing, and I how vividly I remember that uh, what nutcases they were public school uh, kids. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, that uh, that's the only game that I was involved with uh, where it was uh, canceled. Okay. Did you have a favorite coach to coach against? Uh I don't necessarily mean a favorite coach, but the teams that uh, everywhere that I was when I was uh, the various different stops that I had, Miami and Northwestern and uh, Notre Dame, uh, there was a team on our schedule that was either a traditional rival or a team uh, that didn't necessarily, uh, not necessarily a traditional rival that gave me fits. And I think if you talk to coaches, you know, if I'll give you an example, Ohio State playing at at Wisconsin. They, you know, they've been knocked off. I don't know how many times. When I was at Miami of Ohio, Cincinnati was my nemesis. Uh, when I went to uh, Northwestern, believe it or not, my nemesis was Wisconsin. We beat Ohio State. We beat Michigan. We beat Oklahoma. We beat Notre Dame. We <laughs> couldn't beat Wisconsin. And uh, when I'm at Notre Dame here, of course, Southern Cal was my nemesis. If uh, we came within. Uh, three more national championships that they knocked us out of. We were undefeated in 1964, 1970, and got knocked off by Southern Cal, and we were uh, undefeated. I want to ask you about Rudy. How much of that movie was true with your relationship with Rudy? Did you promise to play him his senior year? Yeah, uh, yes, I promised him he would get into the game. They took some liberties, of course, in the, in the movie, uh, but the basic theme of it is, is correct. I mean, he was not qualified academically. Uh, he didn't have all the credentials yet. He wasn't qualified really uh, athletically, but he was more than qualified with determination. And uh, I, he came into my office, as it's depicted, and uh, I thought he was a student, and we let walk-ons come onto our campus and play, and uh, providing they're big enough they can protect themselves. And, uh, and he came in like, and I was ready to uh, have him come out as a walk-on and uh, ask him, uh, you know, uh, what courses he was taking and so forth. And he says, I'm not in school. And uh, that's when he said he was going over to Holy Cross to get qualified to come to Notre Dame. I says, well, when you get through at Holy Cross, come over, we'll give you a uniform. And that's the way that all started. What's it like having your own statue at Notre Dame? (laughs) Well, to be perfectly honest with you, I was opposed to it. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I thought uh, it's premature. I mean, when I'm gone, if you want to do something, you go ahead and do anything. But while I'm here, I was opposed to it. And uh, then they finally came uh, uh, with this, the picture of the, uh, of the conclusion of the Cotton Bowl, which they're carrying me off the field. And they kept pressing. Uh, they wanted to do this statue thing. Pete Chivarelli was the mover and the shaker. He's uh, out of Chicago there, 
as a manager of the Chicago, band Chicago. And uh, there's uh, uh, three guys that are carrying me off. And uh, I said, well, that's what I approved because I did not want to be a statue alone. Uh, I, I wanted, to, and, and that characterized what I was hoping for, would be a uh, football player's a part of a statue. And so from that standpoint, uh, uh, I'm not regretful now that I went ahead and approved it. I'll, one last thing. Ellie and I used to host a show with former Chicago Bear Robin Earl, and Robin said his college choices were down to Washington and Notre Dame back in like 72, 73. He said, you're recruiting him. I go, Robin, you going to Washington had the dumbest thing anyone <laughs> ever did. Who turns down era in Notre Dame? <laughs> Wait a minute! I didn't quite follow the Washington bit. Oh, he went to he grew up in Seattle in Washington, and he was between Washington for college and Notre Dame. You were oh, recruiting oh. him, and so was uh, oh. the Washington coach at that time. Yeah, um, Owens, I believe it was, and he picked Washington over Notre Dame. I said, Robin, your life would be completely different now. No one turns down Notre Dame. If you're at Notre Dame, they love you here in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, no, I just like I said, the, uh, uh, when you when you become a part of it, as I do as a coach, and you sit in that chair, and you become aware of the uh, the the attraction that Notre Dame has, when you have a religious affiliation, as I mentioned, and a great academic institution and a, a great football tradition. You know, before I went in uh, to become the head coach there, Notre Dame hadn't had a winning season in five years. I mean, you know, they've had their cycles, and I I really think I really think that. Uh, Brian Kelly is going is is the beginning of a cycle. Unfortunately, last Saturday was one of those games that every coach faces at some time in his career. If you've been in the business long enough, you're going to have a game like that, a game where everything goes wrong and you can't explain it. Coaches can't control the officials. They can't control the weather. They can't control the injuries. They can't control, they try to control the turnovers, but they can't control those. There's so many things that a coach can't do as well prepared as you'd like to have your team. And then they'll go out like they did last Saturday in the first half and made a multitude of mistakes. And these were not just rookies. These were seniors that had been around a while. So uh, that's the unpredictability of, uh, of, of uh, coaching, and uh, that's why I guess the gamblers make a lot of money. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time. It was a pleasure talking to you. Okay, you bet. Thank you. Bye. That was College Football Hall of Fame coach Eric Parsegian. What a wonderful guy. A living legend. Living legend, sharp as a tack. And when we come back, Ellie, did you bring a girl today? Yeah, we'll have another living legend. A roller derby enthusiast. She rolled right in. She'll roll right into the studio when we come back. U.S. and Sports and Torts. I'm David Spade with Ellie Harris. Stay tuned.